what can we learn from some of the top trends in ECFA member compliance? Today, we'll cover three major integrity points and offer free practical tools to serve your ministry. Pursuing God-honoring responsible stewardship in governance, financial accountability, and fundraising. Welcome to the Excellence in Ministry podcast from ECFA. and welcome back to the Excellence in Ministry podcast by ECFA. This is your host, Michael Martin, and I am joined in studio today by ECFA President Dan Busby. Dan, thanks so much for taking time to be with us today. Well, it's always a pleasure to do a podcast with you, Michael. Well, likewise, it's always great to have you here. And today, I will say there's a very specific reason that I wanted to have you join this discussion with our podcast community. Today on the podcast, we're going to share a little bit more about what we've been learning recently through the ECFA Accreditation Program for Nonprofits and some of the trends that we've been seeing as we monitor members' compliance with the standards And boy, there's no one who knows more about ECFA standards and compliance than you, having served in and around ECFA's ministry for 30 of its last 40 years. So Dan, maybe before we dive into the details of our discussion on what we've been learning recently about standards compliance, maybe just give us a little bit of background here for those who might not be familiar on why ECFA has standards, and then also speak to uh, a little bit maybe on how we enforce those. Well, thank you, Michael. Let's uh, jump right into that. Uh, First, why we have standards. Uh, Started in the late 1970s, ECFA was formed as a peer accountability ministry to help Christ-centered churches and ministries strengthen credibility and build confidence with givers, the government, and the public. Today, uh, ECFA has over 2,400 members who have chosen voluntarily to comply with ECFA's seven standards in governance, financial management, and gift administration. A ministry that demonstrates compliance with those standards can earn the right to display ECFA's recognized seal on its website and other fundraising resources. An important part of ECFA's process is to enforce compliance with its standards through a rigorous application process, an annual accreditation renewal, responding to concerns that might be submitted about a member's compliance, and other tools, including questionnaires and on-site visits. I have personally had the privilege to conduct over 300 of those on-site visits myself, and it has been a true highlight for my career. I'm sure, Dan, that has been the case. Well, thanks for that background on the standards and actually speaking to what you just shared, you know, one of the exciting developments here at ECFA is that we've actually expanded those visits, um, which as Dan referenced, used to be all on site to now through leveraging technology, uh, being more visits conducted through what we're calling our new standards check-in program. And that check-in program gives our compliance team an opportunity to do an even deeper dive into member compliance than the annual membership renewal. And part of that is making any appropriate recommendations to strengthen a member's compliance with the standards. We actually just posted a new video on our website at ecfa.org that talks more about the full launch of the standards check-in program after a successful pilot initiative that we conducted last year with several of our members. Maybe also just an important note here as we get started, 
you know, ECFA is not an auditor and does not provide professional accounting or legal advice, but we are blessed to have a professional team of several CPAs who are directly involved in the review processes that range, as Dan mentioned, from the application to the annual membership renewal, to the on-site, and even these new standards check-ins. And this makes the compliance review process really meaningful and also an outstanding benefit to the growing number of ECFA members. So Dan, on that note, maybe let's turn now to a few things that we're learning from our compliance program. I know that as we've been engaged in reviews with members regarding compliance with the standards, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about some of those few trends, some of the top trends that we're noticing. I think this will be extremely beneficial to those that are listening to the podcast as they think about, hey, what practices are there in our own ministries and and how can we improve them? Sure, and I'd also add here that when we do identify areas of noncompliance with our standards, in my experience, nine out of ten times, it's unintentional or simply a misunderstanding about what's required. We find that members who voluntarily step up to become accredited by ECFA desire to be in compliance with the standards and appreciate any recommendations we can offer to make them even better. So, Issue number one is that we have seen a consistency in applying standard six on compensation setting of the top leader. Yeah, well, Dan, maybe unpack that for us a little bit. So you're identifying that here as issue number one. Uh, Tell us exactly what that means. Absolutely. This is an example of ECFA standards that are well beyond what the law requires. Our standards start with the law and go beyond the law. It's an important integrity point to be sure There's a sound process in place for setting the compensation of the top leader. Let me summarize. For all organizations, we require an annual review and approval of the top leader's compensation by the independent board or an independent committee authorized by the board. For more highly compensated leaders, we require additional due diligence from this independent body. In other words, requiring them to rely upon outside comparability data to ensure the compensation does not exceed reasonable compensation limits for similar churches and nonprofits. Of course, this determination takes into account the skills, talents, education, experience, performance, and knowledge of the person whose compensation is being set. And Michael, what we've found in our reviews is not so much that members are not in compliance with these due diligence steps. It's more so that we need to be sure the due diligence process is being appropriately documented as part of the standard six requirements. This helps protect a ministry if there are ever questions about its integrity in this area. No, I think it's that's very true. It's kind of like the person once said, if it's not documented, it isn't done. <laughs> right. So I think that's really what we're getting at, and we've seen that. Well, and I'll add, Dan, too, just related to this topic, and maybe you can comment on it. Um, we've also been recommending that organizations would have sound processes in place to ensure that there's independent oversight into the expenses of the top leader, and independence really being the key part of that. So can you uh, also add to that or maybe comment on that a little bit? Yes. uh, Here, we recommend that an independent board or committee member provide periodic oversight into the top leader's expenses to protect the top leader and the ministry. We want to avoid any accusations that the ministry is inappropriately paying for any expenses that may be personal in nature or is not substantiating the expenses that are incurred. In many ministries, 
it may be the CFO or the financial manager who has been providing that oversight, or in a church setting, the executive pastor. The problem with that approach is that those individuals are in a reporting relationship to the person whose expenses are being reviewed, and an independent board or committee member would be more appropriate for that important role to protect everyone involved. Absolutely. I would underscore that. And as we've raised that recommendation this year among many of our members, I think they've found that to be really eye-opening and really helpful. Well, let me take us here into our second area. And this one is also within standard six. So this is uh, our trend number two, if you will. And that is having a sound conflicts of interest policy in place, but then beyond that, also providing appropriate monitoring of conflicts of interest. And so really the main point that we're trying to address here is similar to the issues that might be involved in the compensation setting process that we just discussed. And that is we want to be sure that leaders, and here mostly talking about the key staff and also board members, but that these key leaders are not benefiting inappropriately at the ministry's expense and that we have sound processes in place to protect the ministry and the individuals who are involved, and even really, again, with that goal of avoiding any kind of accusations. And that actually reminds me, Dan, too, of really some scriptural principles that we quote a lot around here, like being mindful of outward appearances, um, taking great pains to do what is right. Those are really familiar texts for us around here. So here, with conflicts of interest, Standard 6 requires that all ministries would have a sound policy that's in place to address potential transactions that may arise between the ministry and also an individual who might have a conflict of interest. But really important here, having a policy alone is not enough. And here's where really, as we talk about the recommendations that we've been providing to our members, I would say that the majority of our recommendations have come in here. And that is that beyond just having a policy, there should also be a regular process that's in place for individuals to disclose potential conflicts of interest. So in other words, monitoring um, through some sort of a system or mechanism questionnaires and at a staff level, these questionnaires or forms on conflicts of interest could be completed and shared with the COO or maybe the CEO uh, for someone in an operational leadership role to be made aware of any potential conflicts. And then at a board level, the forms could be completed and shared with the board chair, or maybe it's a designee of the board chair. Um, But that way, when situations arise where a potential conflict exists, these leaders can help manage those conflicts appropriately, and that would include removing the individual from the discussion and voting process who has a conflict of interest. And maybe just a little bit of help out there for those of you who are in the podcast community. If you are listening to this and you're interested in implementing a recommendation like this at your ministry, we actually have samples that are available right now on the ECFA website, uh, conflict of interest disclosure forms, or you could also just email us at podcast at ecfa.org. And Dan, I know we would be more than happy to send a, a link to anyone who might be interested. Well, thanks, Michael. Well, this last item is the trend we've been seeing toward more challenge and matching gift opportunities. Uh, these can be great tools when used appropriately. However, they also have the potential to cause harm by misleading donors when the communication is not full of integrity and abundantly clear. Let me just give you the the definition of challenge gifts and matching gifts. First, a challenge gift. A challenge gift 
represents a non-contingent gift, in other words, not dependent on the gifts of other donors, to a church or ministry with an accompanying challenge for other donors to support that same church or ministry. Whereas a matching gift represents a gift that is contingent, in other words, it's dependent on the gifts of other donors, either incrementally or wholly on gifts raised for one or more specific projects or for unrestricted purposes and or gifts raised during a specific period of time. Well, that's a mouthful on those two definitions, but let me give you a couple of examples. Challenge gift. The challenge incentive is often used in television or radio fundraising campaigns. Um, I'll share one specific example. Bill Brown just called in and pledged $1,000 for the share Bill challenges his friends and other listeners to join him in supporting this radio ministry that is producing change lives by calling in your pledge in the next hour. This is biblically portrayed through the Macedonia church, which urgently encouraged others to give. So there's your challenge gift. On the matching gift, when a donor has made a commitment to be used as a matching gift, one contingent on results again, it should be based on a written or verbal dialogue concerning the terms of the matching gift. Let me share an example. Our ministry has a matching gift pledge from one or more loyal donors who has committed to match gifts received by December 31st, so we have a specific time frame, up to $50,000, so we have a specific limit for the building fund. This is a wonderful opportunity for you to double your gift to our ministry Please send your check today with the enclosed response form. So Michael, ECFA's fundraising standards require truthfulness in communication and honoring giver expectations and intent. So it's important as Christ-centered organizations that we model integrity well so that relationships with givers remain strong and we do not cause a diminished witness for Christ. Once again, we have a helpful resource on challenge and matching gifts in the Knowledge Center at ecfa.org. Just use either word challenge or matching in the keyword search, and you'll find great help in this area. Well, thanks, Dan. That's a great summary as usual. And uh, I think that's really helpful guidance because one of the things that we have been seeing uh, just to underscore what Dan shared is just the the blurring between those two concepts or maybe one or the other that's not being used uh, appropriately with that label of challenger matching gifts. So I definitely commend that document and that resource to you. Well, hey, I know we have covered a lot of ground today, but these are some really important integrity areas for our ministries to consider. Um, and so, Dan, just again, thank you for your insights and all the work that you've done over the years to strengthen member compliance with the standards. And to all of our listeners, maybe you're a member today and you have questions about strengthening your ministry's compliance with the standards. Or, or maybe you're in the shoes of being at a ministry where you haven't yet taken that step to apply for ECFA accreditation, but you'd like to know the process to apply and also the right, how you can earn that right to display ECFA seal as a sign of your commitment to excellence and integrity. Um, either way, either boat that you're in, um, we would just invite you to 
simply just email us your questions at podcast at ecfa.org on how you can take those steps of either strengthening your ministry's compliance with the standards or applying for ECFA accreditation. And again, that address is podcast at ecfa.org. One of the fantastic members of our compliance team will be in touch with you to serve you and your ministry's needs. One last resource that I'll also mention on our website at ecfa.org is entitled, How Does ECFA Accreditation and Compliance Work? That document is really helpful. It's been recently updated to provide a helpful overview if you have any questions about ECFA standards and how members are held accountable through our review processes in maintaining these high standards of integrity. Well, that's all the time we have for today's podcast. Thanks again for taking time to listen in and share this podcast with a friend. We look forward to being with you again soon for another Excellence in Ministry podcast.